Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, when I first became a Christian, I was led to Christ by a guy named Roger, and he was really emphasizing the difference between going to church and being a Christian. Now, going to church is something that the Bible commands us to do. It's something that is very important. But some people who just kind of grow up in the church or grow up in America or grow up in some other Christian or pseudo-Christian country, if you ask them if they're Christian, they'll say, well, of course I go to church. Well, one thing Roger used to always say to me is going to church no more makes you a Christian than sitting in the garage makes you an automobile. And of course, what he was talking about is the fact that we're supposed to have this transformation from within with God's spirit, becoming born again. But after that happens, yes, church is very important, but there's a lot of mythology about church. I'm going to start, and I'd like to do this a lot, what the church isn't, what the church is not. First, not a place where we receive salvation through sacraments. Now, I know that's taught in the Catholic Church. I mentioned the Catholic Church a couple of weeks ago. I have a great respect for them. And to be fair, when they say salvation through sacraments, the Catholic Church, just like the Protestant Church, they teach that salvation is only through Jesus alone. They are not pointing to a different Savior. They're not teaching salvation by works. They, they get falsely accused of that. So I want to defend my Catholic friends for a moment. But whereas a Protestant will say, well, what I did to latch on to the death and resurrection of Christ was pray to receive Christ, the Catholics would say, well, there's seven ways to latch on to that. And that is the sacrament such as uh, baptism, confirmation, communion would be one, last rites, marriage is considered a sacrament. But anyway, I'm not going to get into a lot of that right now, but just to say I, I do not see that taught in the Bible. So the church is not a place that's providing you with salvation. The church is a place where you could certainly go and hear the gospel. That doesn't mean a lot of people don't get saved at church, but you can be saved outside of the church too. Second, the church is not an organization identified by any one uniform political structure. Some churches have one pastor, some churches have several pastors, some have a board of deacons, some have a board of elders, some have a board of elders and a board of deacons. Some are ruled by denominational hierarchies, others are independent. What's interesting is the Bible gives no clarity on having to have any of those one forms. And when we look at the New Testament, we actually see different churches organized in different ways. Third, now this should be obvious, and I suspect it is obvious to most of you, but I'm going to say it anyway, the church is not a bill But we all talk that way. We say, oh, I'm I'm heading up to the church tonight, meaning I'm heading up to the building. Church literally means people. The the word for church in the New Testament was ecclesia. It was an assembly. It was a called out assembly of people. It could be an assembly of people called out to do anything, but obviously in the New Testament, they're using it in reference to an assembly of people who've given their lives to God, who have come together for worship and fellowship and discipleship and things like that. Number four, the church is not, and this will surprise some of you, the church is not not an organization that needs to meet on any particular day of the week. Now, right now, for the most part, churches meet on Sundays. And how did this happen? Well, there's this idea in the minds of a lot of Christians to say, well, Sunday is God's Sabbath day. And that was one of the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath. Now, I've done whole shows on the law and the New Testament. The Sabbath, the command to take one day a week and rest and do no work, that was given under the Old 
Testament, the Old Covenant that is no longer in operation in the New Covenant. And so there is no Sabbath command. However, just to be technical, just to be factual, when there was a Sabbath command, the day that was commanded was not Sunday anyway. The day was Saturday. When the early church that we read about in the book of Acts started meeting on Sunday, they were very aware that that was not the Sabbath day. And they didn't meet on Sunday because of the Sabbath. The early church was made up almost 100% of Jews. Believe me, Jews knew what day the Sabbath was. They met on Sunday because that was the day Jesus had risen from the dead. They called it the Lord's Day. Now, what's happened since then is in, in these last uh, several millennium, actually, throughout European and Western civilization, Sunday became known as the day. And here in America, that's the day that people have off. If I were going to go out and start a new church, I'd have people meet on Sunday because it's a convenient day. You do it on Wednesday and well, this person has to work, that person doesn't have to work. So it, it's still convenient and there's certainly nothing wrong with meeting on Sunday, but we don't have to. If a church decided to meet on Tuesday night instead of Sunday morning, there would be nothing wrong with that. Number five, it's not an organization that has to have certain ages of people. Years ago, I used to do campus ministry, and I came to the conclusion that the campus ministry that I had, my Bible studies taught to college students, actually were functioning like a church. Well, I had many people, even close friends, even fellow campus ministers, they said, oh, no, 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 that can't be a church. I said, well, why not? Well, because they're all students. They're all of one age. I said, listen, I've traveled one end of this country to another, preaching in churches, raising support from my ministry. I've often been to churches where senior citizens are the only ones there, where nobody's younger than 60, 70 years old. Do we tell them that they're not a church because they don't have any young people? How about the military where they have a chapel service? And in the military, you're more or less talking about the exact same age as a college student. So we, we really need to evaluate these things. I said, this is a community that's meeting out on a college campus. That's their community right now. That's a community they're reaching. They go, yeah, but what happens when all these kids graduate? Well, then we'll encourage them to get involved in a different kind of church that's reaching a different kind of community. This isn't rocket science. And then finally, in number six, the church is not an organization that has to have any one type of format or liturgy. I did an all-student church out at UCSD, and people would come up and say, well, why, why don't we recite the Lord's Prayer here? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I said, look, those are all good things to do, and we could do them, and maybe we will, but we don't have to. On the other hand, the church is not supposed to be some loose gathering either. There is a structure, at least a minimal structure to the church. It is important to God. It's not some blow-off time. And another thing that I'd like to finally throw in, the church is not Burger King, where you can have it your way. I'm referring to a very dated commercial, but you can go back on YouTube. That used to be the little jingle, have it your way at Burger King. If you want your hamburger without pickles, they had a little character named Nicholas Pickles, and he didn't want pickles and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that, that works great at a hamburger place, and I like to have my hamburger my way, but in church, you're dealing with a lot of people and not everybody's going to do things exactly the way you want them done. There's an old saying, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it because you are not perfect. The Bible says all of us are sinful. So what is the church? Well, again, the church is a gathering of people, a called out assembly of people for God's purpose. There's a threefold purpose of the church. First, ministry to the Lord, which would be worship. Second, ministry to the body, the body of Christ, which would be discipleship and fellowship. The body of Christ was a, an 
allegory that Paul liked to use. They'd say Christ is the head and we have different gifts. The prophets and teachers are the mouth. The counselors that are good listeners are, are the ear. Those with the gift of service to help you out are the hand that you use that kind of analogy. So ministry to the body, discipleship and fellowship and ministry to the world, evangelism, obviously. But as you heard me mention on this program, we also have this mandate as a church to make life better for people. Part of the good news of the kingdom of God, once again, is that we are not only forgiven for the sins we've committed, but we're here to deliver people from sins committed against them. That means making the world a better place. That means feeding the poor. That means adopting the orphan. That means sheltering the homeless. Those are the three broad purposes. So I listed a bunch of things before that you don't have to have to be a church, but now I'm going to share the minimum requirements of a local church. I'm going to share some minimum things. You must at least be doing these things to be called a church. It's not true that anytime two Christians get together and pray, you become a church. That's a good thing to do. It's a cool thing to do, but there is a little more to it. So we're trying to to strike a balance here. There's not a lot of ritual and government that you have to have, but on the other hand, it's not this real loosey-goosey thing either. Minimum requirements of a local church. First, joint worship and fellowship. There's scriptures that back up all of these for the sake of time. I'm just going to list them. Second, effective discipleship, which produces growth in the body. Now, what is discipleship? We always hear about the disciples of Jesus. That was a very good example. A disciple is a student, but it's more than being in a classroom. Notice that Jesus' disciples followed him around for years. Well, we don't have to do that exactly. You don't have to move and travel and have people follow you around the country. But it does mean that you're taking the amount of spiritual growth that you've had up to now, and you're imparting it to somebody else. You're taking somebody by the hand, so to speak, and teaching them what you have been taught. And that may include having them in a class. But uh, the guy that led me to Christ, this fellow Roger that I talked about, I was in one of his Bible studies, but he also met with me once a week. He answered my questions. He, he started going through studies with me. So it's a responsibility for the growth of somebody else. Obviously, they're, they're ultimately responsible themselves. But if they've made that commitment, that is what discipleship is all about. Another minimum requirement for a local church mutual commitment and accountability of its members. Commitment to be serving God, to be resisting sin, helping each other with it. Now here's one that people don't like, submission to authority. The pastors of the church are the authority. Now there's authority and then there's authority. There's a nutcase cult that's very popular in our country where pastors will give you permission whether or not to move or change jobs or who to marry. None of the apostles of Christ ever took that kind of authority over people's lives. When I say authority, I mean that God's going to give them the vision and direction for their specific local church, and they should be followed. Now, if they're being unbiblical, they could be challenged. But if they're not being unbiblical and they're just different ways to do things, then you trust that God put your pastor there for a reason. The next minimum requirement of the church, manifestation of gifts and ministries, which involve every believer. Next, outreach to the world. And the next one, this is one, again, that people don't like to talk about much disciplinary action in the early church. If somebody was living in sin, when I talk about living in sin, I don't mean that every time somebody gets up and confesses sin, but when somebody starts denying that they're sinning or they say, I just don't care. I've heard people say that I'm going to do this. It could be an inappropriate relationship. It could be a lot of things. Then the person is actually to be kicked out of the church. That's what happened in the New Testament. I don't know if we have to go that far today, but they certainly should not be allowed a position of leadership. They shouldn't be getting up and leading us at 
prayer meetings. They shouldn't be voting in church functions. And then finally, there is a responsibility in the church to meet all of each other's needs. In the early church, the people took care of each other. They didn't have government welfare organizations. Frankly, we didn't have government welfare organizations till around the turn of the 20th century here in America because the church was already doing that. They were caring for the widow and the orphan and the retired. We will see you next time. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.